Well, good morning to all of you guys. Glad that you're here. Hope you've had a good day. And as uh, Warren promised, it'll be bright and sunny once we're finished. So when you leave, you can enjoy a great day. You know, this um, last week I was up in Waco for my uncle's funeral. Um, tragic situation of him passing during the freeze. And while we were there, my sister handed me a very special gift. She's been helping my mom kind of sort through some things at my mom's house. And she ran across my grandfather's wallet. My grandfather was my hero, and uh, he always loomed so large in my life. He looked like a monster of a man, and when I was going through the wallet, one of the interesting things I found is that he was only 5'8". He was only an inch taller than I am. So for all of us short guys, there's hope of being looming large in somebody's life. But as I was looking through that, I was just so intrigued of the stuff that he kept in his wallet. And if you don't know this yet, I'm named after my grandfather. My grandfather was the man who changed the trajectory of our family. Uh, My grandmother had been through several failed marriages. My dad's biological father was completely out of the picture and had been since he was, uh, even before he was able to know him. And uh, this man, Raymond Everett McHenry, after whom I'm named, adopted my dad, and it changed the trajectory of our family. And he loved me, and he was um, loved all of us. I mean, he was just such an incredible man. Died way too early. I was uh, just eight years old when he died. But, man, he made such an impact. And so getting this wallet and going through it and seeing all the memorabilia that was in there. And one of the things that I found was really interesting is that he had three voter registration cards in his wallet. Now, back then, you didn't get a card. It was like paper. And I thought, man, what a... What an interesting statement. He was basically saying, I'm ready to vote any day of the week. Whenever it comes, I'll vote. Uh, It was was a a very important privilege that we all share. And, of course, this last week in an early voting, we had the chance to vote here locally. And I hope that you exercise that vote because what we're going to be considering today is, is much like a ballot. We're going to be seeing what you saw on the ballot of propositions in which we can go, yay, or nay. And what we see in John chapter 8 is a little bit like those propositions. Uh, Just curiously speaking, did anybody understand those propositions that they were reading? I mean, it's like, yeah, I think so. Um, But the propositions were a little bit difficult to understand. And as you read through John 8, it's kind of like those propositions. There's a lot of information here significant dialogue between Jesus and the religious leaders. And I hope that you'll take the time to read through it all. But there's a lot of stuff, and sometimes you'll be a little bit scratching your head trying to figure out exactly what's being said. But to summarize chapter 8, I believe it is like a ballot in which Jesus is giving us the opportunity to pick one or the other. We're going to look at some platforms today, and we get to determine which platform will we vote for with our lives. The first platform is that of light versus darkness. Look at chapter 8, verse 12, the Gospel of John. It says that when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're familiar with that passage of Scripture. We've heard that many times. We know what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world, but maybe not to the extent of what he meant when he said it. 
Again, let's go back. Remember that the festival, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles has just ended. And a big part of that is celebrating God's provision for the people of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. So this would be an eight-day festival in which a lot of things would be happening. And on the last day, they would extinguish the flames. Now, this is important for us to know. It goes so well with what Jesus is saying. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Lane did such a great job of sharing with us what happened at the Feast of Tabernacles when they brought out the water and what a tremendous event that was. Well, they also did something in which they would light these enormous candelabra. They would take these candelabra, there would be four giant torches in the court of the women at the temple. They would be extremely elevated, almost to the top of the temple, and when they would light those things, they would light up literally the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you're looking for a picture of that, think of the Olympic flame. You know, it won't be too long, and we'll see them carry the torch in, and then someone will light the flame, and it'll light up the whole stadium. Well, that's the way it was in Jerusalem. And the reason they were doing that is they were celebrating that God was the great I Am. Remember that. He was the pillar of fire by night, and the cloud by day, that he was guiding the people as they wandered through an unknown territory of the wilderness. And so here the Feast of the Tabernacles has come to a close. Those enormous torches have been turned out. All of the oil is burned up. In fact, the guys would take up about 65 liters of oil and dump it into it each day, so it would make this enormous flame. It's all gone. Torches are laying around, discarded torches that lighted it. And when all the light is out, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now, he was saying that the one who was the light, you just celebrated, the one that lighted the way through the wilderness, that's who I am. He was making a statement about who he is, and what he's come to do. Darkness is all through Scripture defined as being like sin. That's what sin is. And we're not talking about just darkness like a little bit of what we see in the room or when we turn out all of the lights. It's pitch black. Some of you will remember some of those experiences of, of being in a cave. I remember being a, a kid in Carlsbad Cavern. And they turned out the lights. I'd never seen anything that dark in my life. You talk about being scared. You know, they say, stick your hand up, see if you can see it. I mean, I couldn't see anything. That's the picture that Jesus is talking about here. And that's why John would use 22 different times in this gospel, he would use the term light to describe Jesus. Because this type of darkness is unsurvivable. I mean, you, you can't find sustenance that you need. You can't find food. You can't find water. You can't find your way around. You're completely paralyzed in this kind of darkness. Some of us that are a little bit older have been introduced to a term called cataracts. And the idea is that your eyes begin to kind of fail and you have cataracts and you can still see. But amazingly, when people have cataract surgery, all of a sudden they see like they haven't seen in years. They had, had no idea it was so bright out there. Jesus isn't saying this is kind of like cataract surgery. He's saying, I want to take you from total, unsurvivable darkness into the beauty of the light. John would write about this 
and Revelation. Isn't it interesting? Same apostle as wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the book of Revelation as God revealed that vision to him. And in Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, he says, there will be no more night. Night was a picture of fear. It was a picture of danger, what would happen in the night. That's why you would have the night watchman up on the wall. We lock our doors at night. Darkness does contain things that are not good. And Jesus says to the Apostle John one day, there'll be no more night, nothing to fear. We will be in the very presence of God. So Jesus doesn't just hold a flashlight and illuminate the way, illumine the way. He is the light. And Jesus was inviting those who were listening to hear that. The platform, the proposition, light, darkness, which way will you vote? God's the light. You know, I think of the creation story. I don't know how many times I've heard people scoff at the way it's written in the book of Genesis. And to say, well, obviously it's a big farce, it's a myth, because the sun wasn't even created until the fourth day. In the beginning it says, let there be light. But then there wasn't any light until the fourth day. How is that possible? Because God said, let there be light. And he was there, so there was. And one day, as it says in Revelation, the passage we just alluded to, there will be no more sun. We won't need the sun to illumine. We won't need the moon at night to reflect the sun. Because God will be there, and we will have more than enough light. The second platform, as we think about it, is that of freedom versus captivity. Again, thinking like propositions. Do I want freedom or do I want captivity? And we think, well, the the answer is very obvious there, but let's listen to the, the story as Jesus relates to the religious leaders. Again, a lot of dialogue, I hope you'll read it, a lot of controversy, a lot of conflict as they debate back and forth. And in John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. They were wrestling with this idea that that somehow they had been enslaved. This whole picture, think about this picture of the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was a reminder that they had been slaves for 400 years. They were in captivity. And God led them out of that to freedom. And yet in this conversation with Jesus, they're saying, we've never been slaves. In fact, the way it's written in the original language is to say, we never have, we aren't now, and we never will be slaves. And you have to just look at that and say, are you crazy? Think about what happened from Egypt. Think about the Babylonians taking you into captivity, not to mention the Assyrians that took the northern kingdom into captivity, the way that Greek... Uh, Greece, as well as Rome, has dominated you. And then Jesus says, if you want to be free, you have to come to me and you'll be free indeed. Not just feel like you're free. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now that has to do with math and it has to do with our government, so I really need for you to listen for a minute because I'm not making a partisan statement. We've been introduced to the term of trillion. The trillion used to be the only number that was used to describe our national debt but now it's being used to describe what we plan to do as a people. And again, 
before anybody throws rocks, this is not about Republicans or Democrats or whatever, however you define yourself. Because both parties have contributed. In the last nine months, we've been introduced to $6 trillion worth of government spending. Stimulus packages, infrastructure, plans for the future. So again, this is not about partisan politics. It's just to look at something as kind of a filter to help us understand this point. We feel like we're very free in America, right? Much like they did there, even though they were under the rule of Rome. But this term trillion, take a moment to ponder how big of a number that is. If you could spend $40 per second, it would take you fewer than seven hours to burn through a million dollars. If you spent $40 per second, it would take you 289 days to go through $1 billion. And if you did the same thing with a trillion dollars, $40 per second, it would take you 792 years. A trillion dollar bills laid end to end would stretch from here to three million miles past the sun. So if you were to take the six trillion dollars that our government, Republican and Democrat, say will lead us to a better day, you have to realize that if you spend $40 per second, it will take 4,752 years to pay back. Now, don't get lost in the numbers and don't get lost in the politics and don't go home and start calling your senator because your pastor said so. That's not the point. The point is it feels very liberating. If you got a stimulus check, it felt very liberating. But Jesus is saying, there's a lot more captivity going on and far more than any numbers or math or money is the captivity of our sin. In our sin, we are in a never-ending maze in which every turn leads to another dead end. And Jesus says, I want to take you out of the bondage of sin and liberate you through what I want to do by giving you forgiveness, grace, mercy, and love. So we're standing in the voting booth. Proposition one, light or darkness? Which do we want? Proposition number two, freedom or captivity? It's our choice as to which way we vote. And then we come to the third one is truth versus lies. Look at verses 31 through 32 and verse 44. It says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Now that reminds us that obedience is a demonstration of discipleship. The only way to clearly define discipleship is through obedience to God then you will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. Jesus wants us to be liberated by him who is the truth. And it says here that we are liberated to be free by holding to his teachings. If we really want to find liberty in our lives, it's when we believe God's word and we obey God's word. Dr. Albert Reyes is the president and CEO of Buckner International. And my, one of my few claims to fame in life is I got to sit next to him in our doctoral seminars. Brilliant guy. I remember him speaking into my ear as we were going through my work and he would make suggestions about how a total idiot could maybe improve. He tells of the story of growing up under the tutelage of his dad who was a U.S. Marine. He says, as a young boy, he was trained that whenever his dad called his name, he was to immediately start running to his voice and every step of the way to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. When Dr. Reyes became a Christian at the age of nine, he said it just made sense to translate what his dad had taught him into his relationship with his heavenly father. That whenever God called him to do anything, it didn't matter whether he understood it or not, he just began to move towards the heavenly father saying, yes, sir, yes, sir. And Jesus says the truth, the obedience of the truth will liberate us and set us free. Because here's a sad reality, but it is reality. We are all children of Satan unless we become children of God. You have to pause for a moment and think about that. Say, wait a second, how can that be? That is a categorical delineation of all people. You're a son of Satan, a child of Satan, until you become, unless you become, a child of God. And once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a child of God, and no longer are you related to Satan. Notice what it says here in verse 44 as we continue this. Is it truth or lies that I want in my life? We're probably thinking, I'm not talking about blatant lies, right? Just when it's not the truth? Notice what it says in verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. It's a very intense conversation, by the way, if you want to read all of it. Jesus is now saying, listen, your, your dad's the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. But he was a murderer from the very beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Everything that Satan does is a lie. Ponder that for a moment. When he speaks into your ear, when he offers temptation, it's a lie. And lies will always lead to disaster in our lives, no matter how small they may seem. Last week, I was standing at the grave of my uncle. And as we were there after the service, we kind of began to mill around. And there's a family plot for my mom's side of the family and began to, to look and just be reminded of those people in our lives. And looked at my grandmother's marker there and to realize that that she was born within two weeks of the Titanic sinking. It's like, wow. You, you look at that April date and say, wow, that was amazing. You think back on the Titanic. 
One of the great tragedies of the Titanic it was, was, the, was the lie that it could not be sunk by those who supplied the lifeboats, by the confidence of the crew, the builders, the company, and the people that were on board. Fewer people would have died if they truly believed it was possible for it to sink. Satan sells us a bill of goods in which the return is always horrible. Think what he did to Adam and Eve. He made a proposition to them. He invited them to give up their relationship with God and paradise in the Garden of Eden in exchange for an apple. And he uses the same scales and the same methods today. And Jesus says you can believe the lies that will lead to your destruction or you can believe in me, the truth, our vote. And then we come to the life versus death. Look at verse 51. Again, Jesus is speaking to this group of religious leaders surrounded by a lot of interested people who have been listening to him teach. And as they're having this debate, he says to them in verse 51, I truly, very, very, I tr very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. That doesn't even seem possible, does it? But remember what we talked about last week in John chapter 5, verse 24? Jesus said, I assure you, if you believe the message that I have given you, and you believe in God who sent me, you have eternal life. You will never be condemned for your sins, but you have passed, already passed, from death into life. Such an interesting chapter here. Jesus is offering life, and everybody around him is offering death. Remember how this chapter began? The woman caught in adultery? What did they want for her? Not life, but death. John 8 begins with the same group of people coming and offering death for this woman. And we're going to find in just a moment, it ends by them offering death to Jesus. And Jesus offers us the difference between life and death. Presence with God, eternal separation from him. So we get to this point where we have the opportunity to cast our ballot, to make our vote. Which is it going to be? Look at verses 58 through 59. Jesus said to them, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself and slipped away. They were brought to the point of making a final decision. Is Jesus really God or not? All of us have to make that exact same decision. And as we look at this passage of scripture, Jesus pulls out all of the stops. He began the chapter by saying, I am the light of the world referencing himself to being God, the great I am that they, they knew about. And now, at the very end, he draws the net together. And he says, you have just had this enormous celebration about the Exodus in which Moses was the leader of that Exodus. And you will remember that when Moses was out in the wilderness, bewildered about what he would do and what he would tell the people 
He asked God, who do I say is sending me? And God would say, tell them, I am. That was the name of God. And Jesus draws his conversation to a close by saying, I am. I'm God. Jehovah. Yahweh. I am the creator and sustainer of life. I am the one that walked you through the wilderness. I am the light of the world. I am the truth that will set you free. And what did they do? They picked up stones. Have you ever had a Jehovah's Witness stop by your house? They probably referenced this verse. And they put a little twist on it to make it mean less than it means. But one of the things that we can always stand in confidence in is verse 59, they picked up stones to stone him. The only time you would stone somebody is if they had blasphemed. They understood that Jesus was saying that he was God. And he demonstrated he was God by slipping away. So now it's time for you to cast your vote. Is Jesus God or not? I hope that he's your Lord and Savior. And if you've not yet invited him to do so, hear this great news. That God loves you and he created you to have a relationship with him. But just as we have seen in the story, as Jesus has reminded us, our sin separates us from God. And as long as we stay in our sin, we will remain children of the devil. But Jesus Christ wants to make us children of God, and he's the only one who can. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins and say, Jesus, I want to follow you more than I want to follow the lies of my sin. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me in just a moment. For all of us as Christians, are we living the life that God has ordained for us to live as followers of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we have heard such powerful truth from your word. Such poignant contrast between what you offer and what is offered by the world the agenda of your kingdom and the agenda of darkness. Lord, I pray today that we would choose wisely, that if anyone in our midst today has never received Christ as Lord and Savior, today would be the day that they would pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, you have put before us today truth. May we embrace it. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. I know that if you've felt God moving in your life, maybe to make some kind of decision. I'll be standing over at the cross in just a minute during the song as we worship and would love to pray for you. You can certainly meet us out in the atrium after the service and have further conversations, set up an appointment for another time. But if you feel like God is moving in your life, would you respond to him in an appropriate way now as we stand together and as we worship and singing?
Until he needs me. 